0: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. I want to preach to you a message that I believe is just a very practical message, but I believe it's one that as you are thinking and contemplating, and some of you perhaps closer than others to entering the ministry, I believe this is a message that will help you now while you're in college, but I think it's certainly a message that will help you as you enter into the, the work of the ministry. And so I, I ask the Lord to help, help me to help you. i um, Sharing in the ready room in the back that, uh, of course, I'm stepping out of the pastorate here in just a few days, and uh, going to be working in a collaborative effort with uh, Brother Naranjan Sundaraj and, and Dr. Chapel in what we call Spiritual Leadership Asia. And uh, the story of my life is really quite fascinating as far as just the way God does things, and if we'll let God do it, He'll do some great things in our life. I came out of college in the late 1970s and had the privilege of going home to work in uh, my home church and have been there for 41 years. Uh, For 17 years I worked as associate pastor and and part of that was a co-pastor. Then finally uh, a little over 23 years ago became the senior pastor. But when I came out of college I didn't think I was going to stay in the United States, I actually was looking at going to the mission field, specifically Southeast Asia. I was looking at that particular realm of my life and even took a, a, a journey over there and did what we call a survey trip. But you know, when I came back, it's just like God closed the door. He it says, it's not, it's not what I have for you. And of course, I didn't understand that at that moment. And then as I watched, as God unfolded some things in my life, and now here I am at 41 years later, God's saying, okay, now you can go and do what you wanted to do 41 years ago. You know, the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He really will. And so I just would encourage you with that thought this morning that you don't know where God's taking you, but it's a great journey. It's a wonderful journey if you'll let God just take you someplace and let him have his way. Don't dictate to him. You'll let him dictate to you. It'll be okay. All right. Let's begin to read this passage of scripture. First Corinthians chapter four. And I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on this idea of faithfulness in your stewardship. Faithfulness in your stewardship. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter four, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Notice verse number two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in, uh, sorry, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And, lo, it's an early morning hour here. I know the young people are used to being in, they're used to being in classes. And, uh, Lord, I pray that as we have this chapel hour, that, Lord, you give us a, the attention of uh, the folks that are here this morning, these, these servants of the Lord who are training for ministry. Lord, we want to be a help to them. And, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to be able to keep their attention. Pray that the message, Lord, to be powerful in their life. And again, Lord, I pray that you'd use us today to, to accomplish your purpose in the lives of these your people. For we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, I'm sure that most everyone in, the, in this auditorium this morning would be familiar with a little bit about the background of the church at Corinth. And uh, we would understand that this first book of Corinthians, we find Paul is primarily in his first book addressing problems. He's dealing in the first several chapters of issues that have been brought to his mind as he has been uh, one who was instrumental, of course, in the founding of this particular church. And if we would use a phrase, we'd say that this church was a struggling church at this moment. Uh, They were struggling, and, and part of the reason they were struggling is because they weren't a mature church. They weren't spiritually mature. The Bible uses the phrase that they were carnal. Uh, in other words, they were fleshly, they, weren't, they, they were living by the flesh, and as a result of that, they, they're not spiritual or mature believers, but they're, they're babes in Christ. So when we think about this carnality or this babiness, can we use that word babiness? I don't know if that's a word that's in the dictionary, but I'm going to make one up this morning, this babiness. As we think about that, it was showing in their behavior, and they, they were allowing their congregation. So I want you to think, this is not a college, this is a, a congregation, this is a church, So they were allowing their church to be this this fragmented body. In other words, they were being divided. There was this divisiveness in the midst of their congregation. And they were breaking it down into small groups, not for teaching, but but because of these factions that were very much a part of their church. And so they they were fighting with each other. So you can imagine this campus this morning if there were factions or or groups within the, the campus and I remember when I was in high school before we had a Christian school years ago and uh, I remember in, in being in secular school and so there were the well, there were there were the geeks and there were the the nerds and then there there were the the jocks you know so the, and these 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 uh, these particular uh, factions would, wouldn't necessarily mess with each other. They wouldn't kind of intermingle. They would kind of stay to themselves. And so in this church, that was what was going on. So they were childish and in many respects. Think about this. They were playing favorites in the realm of who the, were the preachers that would come through and that they became followers of them. Uh, the the Bible is pretty clear in the opening of this first couple of chapters that that was one of the major issues. Part of the division of the church was the fact that some of the congregation congregation were developing into groups over their favorite preacher. Some like this eloquent preacher by the name of Apollos. And Apollos was a gifted order and so when he came I mean there are people who are just mesmerized by his ability to take words and craft them and and, and turn them into to a great message that would captivate their attention and so they said man we are followers of Apollos and of course some were followers of Peter the uh, the great apostle one of the, the ones was in the inner circle with the Lord had walked with him and so some of them have developed that and then there were some of course following the apostle Paul who had been the founding pastor of this church and the divisions in this church at Corinth they, they weren't held helpful. I think we would understand that. Those of us who are training for ministry, many of you come uh, perhaps from Lancaster, but many of you are, are from other churches across the country, perhaps around the world. And you know that there are some things that happen in churches that are helpful, things that God does that are helpful. And you also understand there are things that happen from time to time that seem to be uh, it, it's, it's, it's as if it is just a hindrance to what God is doing. And so we find that was happening. And so this church, as a result, it was a church that wasn't moving forward, but instead it was a church that was being hindered because of this childish behavior that was a part of, of the congregation. And so Paul is addressing that particular problem here. Now, again, I would tell you it's, a, it's one thing, and you'll find this out as you get into ministry, it's one thing to take a stand for, for a position that's based upon doctrine. And sometimes when you have to take a stand like that, it, it means that there may be a division. We, we have had situations in the church that I pastor where I've said, look, this is where we stand. And as a result of that, some people said, well, that's not where we stand. I said, okay, well, then you make your choice. Either you get in line with us or there's the door. And I didn't mean that in a bad way. But I'm just simply saying you can't allow to have a, a different position on doctrine And I'm just telling you that you're going to find that in ministry. There are times when there are people who say, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. Well, then, okay, if we're going to be together, we have to be together in this realm of doctrine. So it's one thing to divide over doctrine, but it's a completely different thing to divide over personalities. And there's no room in that in the realm of ministry. I'm going to tell you this story. It happened several years ago in the church that I pastored. I became the pastor that succeeded the founding pastor. So the first pastor of our church, his name was Dr. Roy Thompson. He's been in heaven for several years now. He died of cancer in 2010. And, uh, but he was a larger-than-life personality. I mean, he was just this big, uh, I mean, he, when he stood in the pulpit, I mean, it was like this raging bear. And, and I'm just telling you, he was an was a, was a ability to, to get people's attention. And, and I mean, he's just powerful, powerful personality. And, of course, I, I'm his successor. My personality is a little different. I'm, I'm a little less subdued. I, I don't, when I walk into a room, I don't have to be the center of, the, uh, of attention. Everything doesn't have to revolve around me. It's just the way that I'm made. So, but but, but he, we were different. So when the ministry turned over, uh, Pastor Thompson, of course, re- remained in our church as one of the members, and, and uh, of course, he had some friends in the church. Uh, uh, we had an older preacher who was serving on our staff, and of course, my parents had served on the staff, and, and so the, that older generation, they just kind of c- congregated together, and so one night, after Sunday night service, they decided they were going to go to a local restaurant and, and have some fellowship. So it was my parents and this other couple and, and Dr. and Mrs. Thompson. So they're sitting in this restaurant, of course, they got their church clothes on, and, and the waitress comes to the table, and she comments to them. She said, man, you guys sure look nice. Uh, and, and so they just began to m- mention that they had just been in church, and, and, and in the course of conversation, they said, you ought to come and, and visit our church. We've got a great church. And the woman spoke up, and she, of course, they told her the name of the church, and she said, well, I, I did attend that church a few times. And she said, I, I attended there when the old preacher was the pastor. But she said i i don't necessarily care for the new young preacher well with that pastor thompson as old as he could said well i just want you to know that i'm the old preacher and he said sitting here at the table is the parents of the young preacher and with that she turned around and walked away and another waitress waited on them they said they never saw her the rest of the evening i got to tell you pastor thompson loved to tell that story specifically when i was around he'd always loved to tell people He said you yeah, know i got to tell you what happened When I was at this restaurant, and he just loved that, with a twinkle in his eye and a big belly laugh, it was just the way that it was. And so I would just simply say, so the church here in Corinth, the preachers weren't trying, think about this, they weren't trying to divide the church. It wasn't like Apollos was carrying a sign saying, if you're following me, get behind me. It wasn't like Paul was saying, hey, I, I, you've got to follow me. No, 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 that wasn't the case at all. They, they, weren't, trying to, they weren't, weren't trying to get a following. They, these people, because of their carnality, because of their lack of spiritual maturity, uh, they were doing on their own what they were doing on their own. As Pastor, Pastor Chaplet says that, Carnal people take small things and magnify them, making them bigger than they really are. And spiritual things take uh, big things and, and make them smaller and try to obviously bring them in. And so they refuse to allow those issues to stop them in their walk with God. So I would just simply say to you, it's a natural thing for us to appreciate people who've influenced our life. Many of you come from churches, and I'm sure that as you think about your home church, there are people there, there are pastors there. Uh, maybe your pastor, your youth pastor, maybe people that worked in the youth ministry, or just people maybe who maybe it was a bus captain, but somebody who was greatly used of the Lord to influence you. You come here to Lancaster Baptist Church, and you've got a great pastor, Pastor Chapel, and you've got these men who oversee the college, you've got some professors who perhaps have greatly influenced you, and, and certainly it'd be wrong. It's not, it's it would certainly be wrong for us to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm following Dr. R, Dr. Rasmussen, he's my favorite, and, and I won't associate with anybody who's not the favorite. I mean, that'd be obviously foolish, but that was exactly what was happening in, in Corinth. And so as we think about that, it's not a wrong thing to, to appreciate people, but when we make that the issue, In other words, when we're dividing over those to whom we're following, I'm just simply saying it's a wrong thing. So Paul points out some truths about the the life of us, the people of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. The application, the primary application, of course, was about preachers. So when we get to verses 1 through verse number 6, you you can even see what Paul says there in verse number 6. He says, "I'm, I'm transferring this to myself and to Apollos, that you not be puffed up. And so the primary application... You know, those of us who are in, in ministry understand there's a primary application of Scripture. But I think the application is a general application as well. We can apply it to our lives as we're thinking in ministry. So as I'm looking out here, I'm sure there's some folks here that say, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to pastor a church. I'm going to go help somebody pastor a church. By the way, Cleveland Baptist Church has a number of West Coast grads that are on serving on our staff and doing a wonderful job. Many of them are homegrown, came here for their education. We just hired today Brother Rob Gizmondi. He's going to come back and teach for us. He and his wife... And uh, Caitlin Brown is working for us, and Christina Primo is working for us, and Dan Smith, Smitty's working for us right now. And some of, the, some of you, that doesn't mean anything because they were some time ago. But I'm just simply saying, God is doing a great thing in preparing students to serve the Lord here at, the, at this ministry. So you're going you're gonna to serve the Lord, but these are some truths that are found here in this passage, and we must really get through them, that will help you as you go into ministry. So what are these truths here? So what are these things that will help you in your ministry of stewardship or the ministry that God has given to you to steward that ministry? Well, number one, if you're gonna do this well and you're gonna be blessed to the Lord, a Christian or a minister or those who are in ministry, we must understand our position. We must understand our position. Look at verse number one. Paul uh, here uses a couple of terms that speak of ministry. And here's what he says, let a man so account of us, notice here's the first word, as stewards, uh, as ministers, as as the ministers of Christ, and then notice, and stewards of the mysteries of God. So there are two words that are used here that he speaks to this idea of ministry. The first one is the idea of ministers. Now the word translated minister is a word that speaks of service. It speaks of a specific kind of servant. So, um, as a a kid growing up, you know, of course I grew up in a whole different generation than you, and so on Saturdays in the afternoon they would show sometimes many of these old movies, they are black and white movies, and I remember specifically seeing a particular movie in which they had one of these uh, big ships, and it wasn't a a ship that was powered by an engine or uh, maybe had some sails, but there were times, of course, when there was no wind, and so they still needed to move the ship, and so in that ship they would have these men who sat in the belly of the ship, and they were known as the rowers. And many, most of the time, these were not men who were doing this because they wanted to do it. They did it because they were slaves. They were put into service. And so here they are. They're sitting in the belly of the ship, and, and they're rowing. And some of these ships were so big that there would be a couple of different, maybe, decks in which these rowers would set. Well, this idea of minister here, the idea here is that it, it really is the phrase, an under rower. In other words, it's the guy who sits in the very bottom of the ship. He's not even on the top level. He's at the very bottom. And his job, of course, is to row the ship. And all he is, 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 is given, it's not his ship He's not in charge. He's just doing what he's been given to do. And so he's a rower. And so I want you to think about this as a man sitting in the belly of a ship and he's rowing. And he's rowing. And so Paul says, I want you to think of me not as a great apostle, but I want you to think of me as one of those guys who's in the belly of the ship just rowing this ship trying to get it someplace. That's a great thought, isn't it? Paul was saying, I'm not the captain of the ship, I'm simply a servant. And one who is to the one who is the captain. I'm here to serve at his command. When I graduated from college back in the 1970s, I hate to admit it. I came out of college young. I, you know, was just in my early 20s. I was married. had had been married in school, and and you know, honestly, I was in some respects puffed up because. I had been asked to come back home and serve on the staff at our church. I was, of course, as I said, I thought I was only going to be there for a short time. So I came back on the staff in the 1970s, early 1970s, I'm sorry, the late 1970s, and and I wasn't there hardly two months, and, and the pastor called for my ordination into ministry. Now, again, he must have saw something at that point, said, okay, well, I think this guy is worthy of ordination, but quite honestly, that ordination kind of went to my head. Here I am serving on the staff of this large church, I'm now ordained, and I hate to say this, I didn't think of myself as being a servant. I thought of myself as the Reverend Kevin Folger. I hate to even admit that, because I don't even like the term reverend. It's part of what obviously is associated with ordination, but I'm telling you that as a young man, it's like, I'm the Reverend Kevin Folger. You had to have your voice deep when you said it, you know, just to make it sound resonate. But, but I'm thinking to myself, I didn't have a right mindset. And thank the Lord through, through, through a series of events, and, and God just maturing me, I, I came to understand, look, I, I'm not anybody. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm, I'm that guy that's in the belly of the ship just saying, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, what, what, when you tell me to put the oar in the water, I'll, I'll row, and I'll row as long as you want me to row, because it's your ship, and I'm just going to serve you. Then notice, if you would, not only does he call himself a minister, but he calls himself a steward Think think about this. A steward simply was a manager of that which belonged to another. I wrote this down. A servant never owns the house. Listen, he never owns the house. He simply is entrusted with its value. I like that thought. He doesn't own the house. He simply is entrusted with the value that's in the house. And and, and so he's a manager of that which belongs to the other. He's entrusted to that to manage. And Paul said, we are stewards. Notice he says, of the mysteries of God. What what does that mean? Whatever you see that word mystery in the New Testament, basically just saying, hey, previously this was an unknown truth. These things that I'm sharing with you, it's not like, okay, I've got this, this special revelation. No, no, God is saying, look, I've, I'm helping you to understand something I put in place, and, and now it's your responsibility to, to take this truth and share it with others. This, this thing that was previously unknown, Well, so what was it? Well, we're here in Corinth, and he's dealing primarily in Corinth with Gentiles. You know, up to a point, it looks like, hey, everything's about the Jew, it's all about the Jew, and of course, you may even remember in the book of Acts, I just read that this morning, my personal devotions, as they got to Acts chapter 15, there was almost this division in the church over whether the Gentiles could even be saved and be co-heirs of the grace of life, and so, as God has made that aware, Paul says, this is the grace of God, this is the mystery that God has shared with me, that, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, it doesn't matter if you're Asian or Caucasian, hey, hey, it's for Everyone! The gospel's for everyone. And Paul says, that's my stewardship. I don't own this, it's not mine. It's just been entrusted to me to share that truth with others along life's way. And and so we need to understand how important that was. And and so I I would just simply say that uh, we we need to understand, I I think about this, that Cleveland Baptist Church isn't my church, although I've been the pastor for over 23 years, and I've served on the staff almost 41 years. On September the 3rd, 1995, the stewardship of that ministry was transferred from Roy Thompson to Kevin Folger. I still remember that evening as that transfer service took place and it was his final Sunday and I knelt on the platform and the men of God knelt around me, not to ordain me, but to take on the responsibility. i got to tell you, when I got up, I felt this tremendous weight of responsibility. Well, Lord willing... If Jesus doesn't come on June the 2nd of this year, that responsibility will be transferred to my son, Pastor Peter Folger. He's been called by by the Lord and by our church to be the next pastor of the Cleveland Baptist Church, and he'll feel the weight of that responsibility, but it won't be his church. He'll just be a steward of what God has given to him. now, I would just simply say many of you are going into ministry and you will serve the Lord someplace and it's not going to be your church but, or, or even your, your, your ministry. It's going to be you're going to be working for the Lord under someone else who's been given the responsibility. You understand that pastors can't pastor a church by themselves. They need others to come alongside and help them. So, so don't get to the point and say, well, this is my youth department. It's not. Hey, hey this is my classroom. It's not. This is my Sunday school class. It's not. Number one, it belongs to the Lord. Number two, it belongs to the man who God has called the pastor of that church. And you are to work for that person and not be so possessive. No, you're just a steward. You're just to be a steward of what God. You're just an underroller. You just need to understand that. Notice number two, if we're going to serve the Lord, not only must we know our position, but notice number two, we must understand our most important requirement. What is it? Verse number two. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, say it, let's say it again. Wake up a little bit, okay, here. A man should be found what? Let's do it one more time. A man should be found what? There you go. You're doing a little bit better here this morning, all right? So a man is to be found faithful. The greatest quality of a steward is that they're faithful. You know, when Jesus told the parable of what we call the unjust steward, the man lost his position of management of that be, that belonged to another because he was unfaithful. Uh, in other words, he, he, didn't, he wasn't a faithful story. He wasn't managing faithful that which had been trusted to him. Think about this. Faithfulness does not take great talent or gifts. It's a matter of character. So, so I don't care who you're set, as you're sitting here today. You may say, well, uh, uh, in all the college, in all the people that are at West Coast Baptist College... Man, I'm the most backward person here. I don't have a lot of gifts. Most people would never think of me as being someone who could go into ministry and really succeeded. And so I'm just saying, you may say, well, what can I do? I'm here to tell you, you can do this, you can be faithful. It doesn't take talent, it doesn't take gifts to be found faithful. It takes character. I think to myself that, you know, faithfulness... It takes a person that realizes the seriousness of their position, is willing, has a willing determination to say, whatever you give me to do, I'm just going to be faithful to it. When I was in college, I attended Baptist Bible College back in the 1970s, and at that point, the school had over 2,400 students. When I arrived there, of course, I, you know, I was a skinny kid from Cleveland, Ohio. Nobody knew me. I, I Honestly, wasn't, I wasn't a talented person. I, 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 didn't, I had no gifts. I, I couldn't sing in any of the ensembles. I wasn't an athlete who couldn't play for the bat- baseball team or the, ba- the basketball team. I just, I had no gifts. I mean, I really was just this backward kid. And I suppose as I was in my, my classes, none of my professors would look at me and say, well, this, you know, here's a guy, I can just single this guy out. He's going to go do something for the Lord. I, I, I don't know that, that anyone would have ever thought that. In fact, probably most of the professors when I graduated didn't even probably even knew who I was. It wasn't like because I was a standout in, 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 in class. But here's what I will tell you: is that if you just have some character, if you just have a work ethic, if you just say, "Hey, I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of gifts, I don't have a lot of talents," but what I can do is I can go roll up my sleeves and I can work hard. I can be that underdog. I'll just listen to the command of the one who's in charge, and I'll just do what God has given me to do. I'm telling you, God will do something with your life, because that's the most important characteristic: is this idea of stewardship. There's one thing I was taught in a child growing up in my parents' home is that there was nothing, and I mean nothing more important than God. My parents taught me, you love God. That means you, you love his church. And when you love God and you love his church, you don't quit on God. You don't quit because he didn't quit on you. And so the idea here is that we just keep... Uh, doing what God wants you to do. Use your life, your gifts to serve God. Your res- look, your responsibilities may change. Mine did over uh, a period of years. I, I moved from one position to another position, and it doesn't matter what you're given to do. Just do it to the best of your ability. I have a younger sister who's about three years younger than me. When I graduated from college, she gave me for, for Christmas that year a Bible, and she wrote it in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 9.10. That verse began to resonate with me. The Bible there says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And then it speaks to the fact because there is no work or labor to the grave, whether thou goest. So, so what's that mean? It means that, hey, whatever you're given to do today, whatever you're given to do in the ministry, just put your hand to it. Be faithful. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Just keep going forward. That's faithfulness. Just do what God's given you to do. Just do it. He said Adonai and Judson labored faithfully in Burma for 18 years. Think about this, without a furlough. I don't suppose the living conditions in Burma were anything to get excited about. And for the first six years, he didn't have one single Burmese convert. He said, listen, he said, I never saw a ship leave Burma without wanting to get on board and go home. When his wife became sick and had to go home for two years without him, he wrote, quote, if we could find some quiet resting place on the earth where we could go spend the rest of our days in peace and perform ordinary service of religion, end quote. But then he wrote, quote, life is short. Happiness consists not in an outward circumstances. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I'm almost the only person on earth who has attained the language to communicate salvation, end quote. When Adonai and Judson left Burma, the nation had been transformed because here was a man who is faithful to his calling. Then let me finally share with you as we conclude this morning, if we're going to be faithful in our stewardship of ministry, we must, as Christians, remember a future judgment. We find that in verses 3 through 5. Paul says in verse number 3, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own selves, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then, every, uh, then shall every man have praise of God. So, as a Christian, we must remember judgment. These verses speak to the heart of being a steward. Part of living and serving Christ means that there's going to be a moment in which we will have people judge us. They'll look at us like that woman looked at me and says, I like that old pastor, but I don't like the younger pastor. No, there'll be people in your church or the place that you're going to go, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to judge you in some respects. And sometimes they'll criticize us. Paul states in verse number three, it's a very small or insignificant thing that people would judge his work or ministry. In other words, it wasn't like it didn't matter to him. It just simply says in the grand scope of things, does it really matter? If someone doesn't like what I'm doing... Now, now obviously, of course, if you're working for someone, you have someone over you in the ministry, you better be concerned about their judgment. They're going to be measuring you, whether you're measuring up to them. But but in the grand scope of things, we're not going to stand and give an account to our pastor or, or or the deacons. We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. And that's the important aspect of ministry. So Paul said, look, people can judge me, and even my own judgment. I may think, hey, I maybe think I'm doing okay, but maybe not so much in the eyes of the Lord. So it's not what people think or even what I think, but he says it does matter what God thinks. The idea of judging here means to investigate, to interrogate, to scrutinize, to determine the excellence or the defects of a person. Of course, the idea was that people would often judge others in their lives, and they may see superficial things, they may see outward things, and not necessarily know what's really going on in the heart of things. I love this story. To think about there's just one that we're to please. John Kenneth Gilbreth was a noted economist in the early 1900s, and he was called upon by many dignitaries to... To kind of figure out what was going on, to do an assessment of, of their of their economics in their particular realm. And so he wrote this the story in his this following story in his autobiography about his housekeeper. He said, quote, it had been a wearying day, and I asked Emily, the housekeeper, to hold all telephone calls while I had an app. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson, who was the president at the time, was calling from the White House. He said, Quote, get me Ken Gilbrath. This is Lyndon Johnson end quote the housekeeper responded he's sleeping mr president he said not to disturb him then he said well wake him up i want to talk to him she said no mr president i work for him and not for you when the president called back he could scarcely control his pleasure tell that woman i want her here in the white house to work for me i love that i love the fact that here's a woman Though the President of the United States was calling, said, hey, my boss, the one that I work for, the one that I serve, said, don't do this, and I'm not going to do it. I'm here to tell you that you have really one boss. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's him that you're to please. We need we to understand how important that is. So it's vitally important for us to realize, think about this, there's a day coming in which we'll stand before the Lord in judgment. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. It says, For we must all, not some of us, not many of us, but we must all stand. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according as he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, if we can just keep in our mind today our position, if we can keep in mind our overall characteristic which is faithfulness and if we'll remember there's a day of judgment I'm telling you when you step into ministry you keep those things in line it will help you it'll help you in the work that God has called you to do I just want to encourage you this morning to think whether you're gifted or not whether everybody on this campus knows your name or nobody knows your name I'm here to tell you that this applies to every one of us God has has said, look, you're a minister, you're you're a steward. You're just that guy in the bottom of the ship. Don't don't think too highly of yourself. Don't don't get so puffed up you say, well, I'm going to set the world on fire. I hope you do. You may be sitting here saying, I don't know what I can do. Well, you can serve. That's what you can do. You can get in your place and you can row the boat. You can just help and just be faithful to steward. Manage that which belongs to another. And just realize, hey, my, my biggest calling is not my gifts, it's my faithfulness to what God has given me to do. And at some point in the future, I'll stand and before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account.